0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Again, come in, take your seats, please. We got lots to talk about this morning. Again, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It's great to see everybody here. I'm actually glad that our youth is in here this morning so that uh, they get to listen to some of this too, because this is good stuff. I know we're talking... About marriage, we're talking about this in the context of marriage. But the passages I'm looking at this morning, by the way, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 and Galatians 5. Uh, You can open to those passages. We're going to be going back and forth. None of those passages mention marriage at all. Okay, so we're talking about it in the marriage context, but this is relationship stuff. Okay, this is good for sibling relationships, for parent-child relationships, for employee-employer, customer-service relationships, uh, extended family. This is, this is good for all that stuff. Again, we're going to be talking about it specifically in the context of marriage. And there's only one place, and I'll point that out. Uh, I'm going to be saying marriage, marriage, marriage all the time. But for those of you who that doesn't apply to right now, it will apply to you in the future, possibly. Or it does apply to you in all your other relationships. You can just think relationships, relationships, relationships. There is one place where it's marriage specific, and I'll tell you about that. Um, Joe, a couple weeks ago, gave us the biblical foundations of marriage, the purposes, how God instituted marriage, all that stuff. Chris, last week, gave us God's design for marriage, okay, talked about God's design for marriage. So we have the biblical foundation, we have God's design. So why do we have problems? <laughs> we got those two things, that's all we need, right? Why do we have issues? What happens in marriage? Why isn't it easy? Sin nature. Conflict. Conflict. Because of this sin nature, we have conflict. So this morning we're going to be talking about dealing with conflict in marriage. And despite what Chris promised last week, that I'm going to solve all your problems, that's not true. Okay? However, I am going to give you the recipe for you to solve all your problems. All right? It's really not that complicated. But conflict in marriage is inevitable. So the five keys to overcoming conflict or to dealing with conflict in marriage. And there's lots of books that you can get. We're going to talk big picture concepts this morning. There's lots of books out there that you can get techniques for doing this from. This is my primary recommendation. Read that one right there. I've read a lot of marriage books. There's only two that I would recommend to you. I haven't read all of them. That doesn't mean that there are only two good ones out there. The only two that I would recommend to you are one, uh, one that Joe put me on to, which is what Did you, or, uh, How Do You Live With Them Since You Can't Live Without Them by Roger and Becky Tirabasi. And the second one is one that Chris talked about last week and that he introduced me to. And that's What Did You Expect? Redeeming the Realities of Marriage by Paul David Tripp. After reading those two books, I wish that I had read those first. Because all the rest of them were a waste of my time. Okay, but again, this is the primary place right here. If you want more techniques, those two books uh, are two that I would recommend that you look. So number one, love the Lord your God with all that is in you. Any questions on the biblical veracity, the biblical pedigree of that concept? Okay, hopefully not. Hopefully we don't have to go into too much exegetical study to say that, okay, we agree with that. Love the Lord our God with all that is in you. Draw ever closer to God. With everything that you have, draw closer to God. In other words, are you going to build your marriage on the rock or are you going to build it on shifting sand? Okay, you're going to build it on the rock. One of the best things you can do to improve your marriage is to spend time with God. Spend time in the Word, reading, meditating on, studying. And I'm going to put the last one that always gets us, obeying the Word of God. If you will do that, that is is probably the number one thing that you can do to help your marriage. The closer you draw to God, the more you're going to love your spouse. I guarantee it. Draw close to God. Ephesians 4, 17 through uh, 24, gives us kind of a look at what this does. What drawing close to God does? What loving the Lord with all that's in us does? It takes us from dealing with things in our way, in a natural way, and it takes us into dealing with things in God's way. And I love the way the NLT puts it, so I'm going to read it from the NLT. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Again, Ephesians four seventeen through 24 You are a new person in Christ. If you've come to know him, you are a new person. Don't live in the old person. Live in the new person. And that is so important in our relationships. So important in our relationships. Like Chris talked about last time, he said that, you know, it's been said that all marriage problems are spiritual problems. I agree with him. All marriage problems are spiritual problems. What is the spiritual problem? fix for a spiritual problem or what is the fix for a spiritual problem it's got to be spiritual it's got to be drawing closer to god okay so draw close to god love god with all that is in you and you will help minimize the conflict in your marriage when conflict rears its ugly head if you're staying close to god you will help resolve the conflict in your marriage this is the foundation All the other four things, we could say that this is the one thing that you need to do and everything else is just subsets of it, but I didn't decide to organize it that way. Okay, so there are five things. Number one, love the Lord your God with all that is in you. Everything else flows from that one. Two, love your spouse as yourself. Wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say that. You're right. But it says love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians. Five, thirteen through 16 so just the book prior to ephesians in your bible we're going to be going back and forth between these two galatians five, thirteen through 16 for you were called to freedom brethren only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Love your spouse as yourself. First thing I'll say is really kind of understand this one flesh concept. And this is the part that's unique to marriage. This does not apply to any other relationships you have. But the marriage relationship is a one flesh relationship. Think about that, meditate that, ponder that. We have to realize that whatever hurts our spouse hurts us. And there ought not to be any part of our lives that is separate from our spouses. And I'm not going to go into it any more than that. I'll give you, if you want to sit down with me, I can give you all kinds of, of examples and techniques of how people that are marriage keep separate things. But you're one flesh. Okay, live and embrace that one flesh relationship. And then serve one another, as Paul tells us here in Galatians. I really think it's an interesting, ironic, instructive contrast here between freedom and serving each other. Because we're free, we're made free in Christ, right? So that should allow us to serve each other. And Paul contrasts that with what? Devouring, biting and devouring one another. That's what conflict does, is it's us biting and devouring one another. And that ought not to be, okay, that ought not to be especially In our marriages, we need to be concentrating on the fact that we're one flesh. We need to be serving one another. And when we're serving one another, we're not going to bite and devour one another. And why can we serve one another? We can serve one another because of God's love for us and our love for our neighbor. And we have to do that by walking in the Spirit. So, drawing close to God with all That is in you, loving him with everything that you have and loving your spouse as yourself. If we did those two things perfectly, our marriages would be completely God honoring. But unfortunately, like we've already said, we're sinners married to sinners. So eventually one of us or both of us is going to mess up. And that's why we need the last three keys. Number three, respond to difficulty, conflict in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now, we're supposed to respond with everything, or to everything in the spirit and not in the flesh, right? But it's easy to respond to good things in the spirit. You know, Jesus even tells us uh, in, in Luke six thirty two to 35, he says, what good is it if you love those who love you? Don't even the Gentiles do that? Don't even the sinners do that? What good is it if you lend to those who you expect to repay you? Don't even... The Gentiles do that? Don't even the sinners do that? So it's easy to respond in the, in the Spirit to good things. okay? But as Christians, we ought to be marked by responding to the Spirit to everything. To the bad things that happen in our lives. And conflict is generally not good. okay? Conflict in our marriage, most of us would consider bad. We don't, we don't get up the next day and tell, call our best friend and say, Guess what? I had the most delightful fight with my wife last night. Man, it was awesome. Loved it. It's generally not our response, okay? Because conflict is not fun, okay? Conflict is not good. So the mark of a Christian is that we respond even to enemies in the spirit, even to bad things in the spirit. And guess what, folks? Our spouses are not our enemies, okay? It's amazing how we can go from this person that we loved enough to marry and had all these dreams with, to a short time later, looking at them as an adversary. And our spouses are not our adversary, okay? Don't ever think that your spouse is your enemy uh, and respond in the flesh. Let's read Galatians 6, or 5, sorry, 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. If you want an exposition on this, go to Romans 7, the last part of Romans 7, 15 through the end of, Romans 7, 15 through the end of the chapter, and you're going to see Paul expounding this more. But this is exactly kind of what he talked about in Ephesians, uh, the Ephesians passage that we read about the old self and the new self. The old self is the flesh, the new self is in the spirit. Okay, And they're at war with each other. Picking it up in 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that all who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now your translations may have different words than I than my translation does but it's all the same concept the old self the flesh responds to things in a negative way and I would assert in a selfish way if you look at all those things they had happened because they're self-focused okay they're self-focused we can't respond in a self-focused way we have to respond in the spirit and how do how does a conflict generally happen you know we're two christians living together trying to do the best we can but one of us gets a little selfishness going and we say or do something that we ought not to say or do and then the other person gets hurt and when we get hurt we tend to respond in ways that we ought not to respond and as Joe talked about in his first sermon, it just gets, it just escalates. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all, all of a sudden we're at a place we didn't want to go. All right. All because we were living in the flesh instead of in the spirit. I can say with, with complete confidence, hundred percent confidence that every conflict Janet and I have had in 31 years of marriage is because one or both of us was being selfish. And it normally starts out with one of us being selfish and it ends with both of us being selfish. And it doesn't get resolved until both of us get out of the selfishness and get back in the spirit. Okay, Selfishness has no place in marriage. What does it look like? What does selfishness look like? Read the deeds of the flesh. In your Bible, your translation, those are the things that selfishness looks like. If you see those things in your life, the big key here is to realize it Go, wow, I am not in the Spirit right now. Step back, ask God to help you out, and then start responding in the Spirit. Picking it up in 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are alive today because of the Spirit. God's telling us to walk by the Spirit. Look at that list. To think in your mind, think of the last conflict you had with your spouse and think of what started that. And then think of if the second person had responded in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Would that conflict have gone any further? Generally not. Generally not. So conflict in marriage looks like this. One person gets upset, but it really takes two. Conflict takes two people. They say it takes two to tango, right? If even one of you will be in the Spirit and respond in the Spirit, that conflict will probably stop right there. And if each one of us, each spouse is trying to think, I need to do things in the Spirit, I need to do things in the Spirit, our conflicts, they're going to be there because we're never going to do it perfectly, but they're going to be there, but they're going to be fairly short and minor, and we're going to get right on to resolving things, getting coming to an agreement on things as opposed to fighting about things. I know there have been many times, well, okay, not many, probably once in 31 years of marriage that Jana was selfish and, 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 and said something that she said. And of course, what did I do? I'm an idiot, so I respond in the, in, in, in the flesh, right? But there have been many times when that has happened, when I have responded in the flesh, and then I think about it for a second, and, and the Holy Spirit is knocking at the back of my head, saying, uh-uh, that's not, what you, that's not what you should be doing. You need to respond in a different way. And if we will just submit to the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, as, as Joe and Chris talked about, then we can respond in the Spirit. And our conflicts can start being resolved. Okay, our conflicts can start being resolved. They will not escalate. They'll go the other way. Both people in the spirit. And again, words that I would like to have characterized my marriage. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. Love that. Now, there may be some of you in here this morning who either are living this or know of somebody who's living this and you really have a heart for helping them. Somebody who is in a relationship where one person is continually and always in the flesh. Okay? What do you do in that case? Well, you're gonna have to come back in two weeks because we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about that in two weeks. But newsflash responding in the spirit isn't natural, people. We have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. It is spiritual. We have to put off our old self and embrace the new self that Christ has given us. One writer said, you're a sinner married to a sinner. You will not always do and say things that engender trust. You will have moments of selfishness or needless irritation. You will get angry and say things that you shouldn't. You will have times when you want to be right more than you want to have peace. You will have moments when you are more demanding than you are giving, and you will resurrect an offense that you said you had forgiven. You will be critical when you should be encouraging. That's just the fact of living with another sinner. And that's the reason why we need key number four. Okay? So, number one, we're going to love God with all that's in us, we're going to draw close to Him with everything that we have. Two, we're going to love our spouse as Three, we're going to respond to conflict in the spirit instead of in the flesh. And four, because we're not going to do any of those things perfectly, we're going to be quick to ask for and grant forgiveness. Again, not mind-blowing. Any of you, anybody who has read the New Testament has every tool they need To be successful and to thrive in marriage. Our problem is not that we don't know people. It's not that, oh, I just can't figure out my wife. I can't figure out the fairer sex. That's not my problem. My problem is I don't do what God tells me to do, I don't obey Him. My problem is my own obedience, it's not my spouse. Be quick to ask for and grant forgiveness. Because I'm not perfectly obedient, I'm going to mess up. And when I mess up and the spirit knocks on the back of my brain and says, dude, you're an idiot. You just messed up. I need to be quick to go apologize. When I'm the one that's been offended that one time when Jana messed up and she comes and asks for forgiveness, I've got to be quick to grant it. Okay, God commands us to be forgiving because we have been forgiven, right? Again, I shouldn't have to uh, convince you too much of the biblical veracity of that claim. We need to be quick to, f- to forgive. Ephesians, back towards the back of your Bible again, back into Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I don't know about you, but when I read that list, it convicts me because that list describes me to a T when I get hurt and I'm responding in the flesh. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to be to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We are commanded to forgive. On your own time later, look at James 5:16, Colossians 3:13 for a little bit more on that. We are commanded to forgive. I want to take just a second. I don't have much time, but just a little bit of time to talk about what is biblical forgiveness. Cuz I think we get confused about biblical forgiveness a lot. Because of the way our culture uses the word forgiveness. Okay? Biblical forgiveness always involves two parties. An asker and a grantor. Somebody to ask forgiveness, somebody to grant forgiveness. It's a two-party, it is a two-party thing. Okay? It is not a one-person thing. Biblical forgiveness always involves two parties. Biblical forgiveness is basically giving up your need for justice, giving up your need for vengeance, giving up your need to uh, fight back at that hurt that you've given. Okay, It's giving up your need for justice regarding the hurt committed against you. It does not mean that what the person did was right. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying what you did was right. No, just by the fact that forgiveness is needed, by the very definition, it means that a wrong was committed, okay? But it does mean that you're giving up, and this is the hard one for us, people. This is the hard one. Biblical forgiveness means you're giving up the right to ever bring it up again. Ouch. Wait a minute. I don't want to do that. I mean, I can say I forgive you. But when they do it again next week or tomorrow or in an hour, I want to go, hey, I'm keeping a list here. That's not biblical forgiveness, folks. How would you like God to do that to us? Okay. Biblical forgiveness means you doesn't mean that they, you're saying what they did was right, but it is saying that you don't get to ever bring it up again. If you ever bring it up again, you didn't forgive the person. You may have said you forgave them. But you didn't. Obviously, there's still some hurt in your heart. You haven't forgiven them. It does not release the person from outside consequences of their actions. Okay? There can be temporal consequences of actions, even though forgiveness has been given. We see that in our lives with God all the time. You know? 1 John tells us to do what? Confess our sins, and he's faithful, right? He forgives us our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But we still have the consequences, the temporal consequences of those sins. The eternal consequence of the sin is gone, but the temporal consequence is there. So biblical forgiveness does not release them from their actions. It does not say what they did was right. It does mean you don't, give it, you don't bring it up again. It does mean you release all rights that you have for justice for that sin to get back at that person. Biblical forgiveness is always relationship restoring. Okay, It's always relationship restoring. If a relationship is not restored, then that's not biblical forgiveness. Okay, that's not biblical forgiveness. I would put that under, you know, a lot of people say, well, somebody hurt you, you need to forgive them. And we talk about that all the time, but I would say we talk about that a little loosely. What I, would, I would put that under what Romans 12, in Romans 12, through the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us, to live at peace, as, as much as it depends on us, to live at peace with all men. So we haven't restored a relationship, but we're not holding on to it either. All right? But there's no relationship restoring there unless it's forgiveness. Forgiveness is always relationship restoring. And then we need to remember that those who have been forgiven much love much. Okay? Luke 7, 40 to 47. In other words, when we are forgiven, it engenders love. So we need to be quick to ask for and to grant forgiveness. forgiveness, Asking forgiveness means that we acknowledge what we have done is wrong. Asking forgiveness means that we understand we hurt the other person and we want to do better. We don't want to hurt the other person. We're asking for their forgiveness. We're acknowledging our wrong. Granting forgiveness says, not what you did was right, but said, I am not going to hold that against you. We are going to move on in a fully restored relationship and we're never going to bring it up again. And how often do we forgive? Okay. Those of you who like the translation, seven times 70... You better not have something that you're keeping, and when you get to 490, you're like, all right, next one's gone. Next one's not, not going to be forgiven. That's not the point, right? We forgive as many times as it takes, just like God has forgiven us as many times as it takes. Everything is paid for on the cross. Number five, realize that you can't change your spouse, so stop trying This one's going to take a little bit more unpacking, and again, you're going to have to come back in two weeks because we're going to talk about it uh, a good bit. But realize just quickly today, realize that you can't change your spouse, so stop trying. Only God can change your spouse. Okay? Like I said before, the problem in a marriage is not the other person. The problem in a marriage is me. And if you get both people in a marriage saying, hey, the problem in this marriage is me, then things will be resolved. Where things are hard to resolve is when you got two people saying it's the other person's fault that is really tough you've got to get those people to realize that the problem is me while we wait we can't change our spouse so we're not going to try we're going to pray for our spouse we're going to let god work on our spouse and why we do that we're going to be in ephesians four twenty nine. okay we're going to be in ephesians four twenty nine. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. No unwholesome word. Only edifying speech should come out of our mouths. And that is hard. Like I said, doing this stuff is not natural. This is spiritual. All Our We have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. Imagine how conflicts in our marriages would decrease if we could just control our tongues. If we could keep from having unwholesome words proceed from our mouths. If we could make sure the things that we say edify, lift up, build up our spouse. Man, our marriages would be such testaments to God. Five keys to dealing with conflict in marriage. Because marriage is wonderful, fantastic, amazing, until it isn't. It can be one of the most painful things, one of the hardest things that we've ever done. But if we will remember these five keys, we will live in the wonderful part of marriage because we will be spirit-controlled. Okay, We will be loving God with all that is in us. We will be loving our spouses ourselves. We'll be responding to conflict in the spirit as opposed to in the flesh. We'll be granting and asking forgiveness quickly. And we won't be trying to change our spouse. It's not complicated, folks. Everything we have is right here, he's told us. But it can be very difficult. And it's not natural. But by a show of hands this morning... How many people in this auditorium right now, and I don't want you to raise your hand unless you are convinced that this describes you. How many people in this auditorium this morning know Christ as their Savior? Okay? So I'm talking to you in your relationships, in your marriages. We say that we're Christians. means we're Christ followers. Are we following him? Are we willing to follow him in our marriages, in our relationships, when it gets hard? Are we willing to obey him and do these things when our spouse says something that really just gets under our skin? I want to challenge all of us this morning to realize that if we will just obey what he has told us to do. Why? Because he's paid for our sins, folks. He purchased us. We are not our own if we will just obey not to be saved but because we are saved and because we love him and because we love our spouse if we will do the things he's told us to do our marriages will be great testimonies of christ in the church dear heavenly father i just i pray that we would be open to your holy spirit that we would be asked to be continually filled And, Lord, when we start walking our own way, that we would be responsive to your nudging to do the right thing, to get back in the Spirit, to follow you, to obey you. Lord, you loved us enough to die on the cross for us. All of our sins are nailed to that cross. They are no more. You have forgiven us. Everything that we will do in the future has been forgiven in the cross of Christ. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that because of that fact, we are people that want to follow you, that want to obey you, that want to do what you called us to do. I pray that our relationships would be transformed by that fact. I pray that our marriages would thrive as we live for you, as we live the life that we profess, as we live like we l- actually believe what we claim to believe lord jesus help us to do that because only you can we cannot do it in our own power we can only do it through the power of our wonderful father our savior jesus christ and the holy spirit and it's in the name of jesus christ i pray